Amen. All right. Well, hey, how many guys have ever run across something ironic before? You familiar with that term, ironic? I ironically use it a lot. Uh, but anyway, if you don't know, it's a, it means a, a situation, a life event, or something that you run, run across, and it's kind of funny because it ends up being the exact opposite of what you were expecting, right? Something ironic. Now, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but in light of the Supreme Court's decision on same-sex marriage, there's a ton of irony going on. Okay. For instance, if you were here, we saw last week that the church is not only being silent on this issue, if you can believe that, but professing Christians are even caving in on this issue and even going along with it. Remember that? That was ironic. Are you kidding me? And, and for instance, we saw, folks, that also what's going on is before uh, non-Christian nations, uh, third world nations that we would consider backwards, even communist nations, listen, they're actually behaving more Christian than us. Can you believe that? In fact, to show you once again, here within just days of the Supreme Court ruling, here's how Russia reacted to the decision. Let's take a look. Just a week after the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage across America, a historic triumph for the gay rights movement, it seems Russia won't be joining in the celebrations. President Putin's ruling party has unveiled a straight flag in a bid to combat what it calls gay fever. The group used the country's annual day of family love and fidelity, the Russian equivalent of Valentine's Day, to unveil the flag. Depicting a father, mother and three children, it contains the hashtag Real Families. Moscow's United Russia branch says it honors the nuclear family and traditional Russian values. Despite earlier claiming the flag aims to counter the LGBT rainbow version, the deputy head says it is in no way offensive. We aren't saying there is no confrontation here. We are speaking of the traditional family. You can see there are a lot of children here, many elderly, young people, people on bicycles and rollerblades. We mean the average standard Russian family that is ours, as you see illustrated in the logo. Mother, father and three children. In other words, what's Russia doing within days of this? We have the guts... We have the guts, a communist nation, we have the guts to stand up for traditional normal marriage. That, that's what we should be doing, right? We're the Christian nation. Is that ironic or what? Now, to make it even worse, folks, what makes it even worse is so-called, listen, Christian seminaries. So-called Christian seminaries. One, I'm going to call it out, the Chicago Theological Seminary. As this is going on, folks, they recently handed out free condoms at a secular event a festival with a gay rainbow flame on it, mocking the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is what a Christian seminary, this was their response. It's got their name on it and everything. Excuse me? Folks, I not only find that absolutely blasphemous, but this is ironic. Here is Russia, Russia, putting out flags for promoting the pro-traditional family. And here we have in America, so-called Christian seminaries handing out condoms celebrating gay activity. Can you believe that or what? That isn't just ironic, folks. That is extremely dangerous and hypocritical, as we've seen. And that's why we're going to continue our study, a Christian response to the Supreme Court decision. Now, if you've been tracking with us, we know what we're doing is taking a look at four things, and we're on the fourth one today, that if we as a nation, yes, a Christian nation, they're pivotal if we're going to experience revival, then judgment, not just judgment. Now, if you hear last time, we saw that there is a horrible hypocrisy going on with this decision made by the Supreme Court, okay? We saw, number one, the media is being hypocritical is because they don't report how other religions, not just Christianity, but other religions refuse to bake a cake as well on the issue, like Muslims. You don't hear nothing about that. 
You're being a hypocrite. Number two, we also said the homosexual community themselves are also being a hypocrite because we have a recording on tape that they are being approached. Would you please bake a traditional marriage cake? And what do they say? No. In fact, they even said, if you were here last time, if you recall, oh, why would you ask me to do something that goes against my beliefs? Yeah. Right? You're doing the same thing. It's totally hypocritical. And then we saw the third hypocrisy that, I mean, that was bad enough, but the church is being hypocritical by going along with this issue, caving in on it, which is we saw according to the scriptures, they saying, hey, let me celebrate this fact. You're not going to the kingdom of God. You're going to hell. Not just homosexuality, but any unrepentant sin that is not dealt with appropriately through Jesus Christ. If you can believe the church is that. Or as we saw where we ended up last time, the church says they stand up for traditional marriage values. Yeah, that's what we're going to stand up for. But you don't uphold it yourselves. Right? You're being a hypocrite and you're destroying any chances for revival. As we saw again, 2 Chronicles 7.14, what it says? If the world, no, if my people, God's people, the church, dare I say. Here's how revival takes place. Not the world, the church. Who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray and seek my face. What's the fourth one we seem to always skip over? Turn from your wicked ways. Get your heart right first. Then what's going to happen? Then God says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive your sin. Then I will heal your land. In other words, that's what we dealt with last time. Before we approach this issue in love, in Jesus' name, biblically, correctly, without hypocrisy, you got to get rid of your own wickedness. Amen? That's what we did last time. But now we're at that point. Now how do we give a response? What is the Christian response? We not only need to get rid of our hypocrisy, folks, we need to get rid of this complacency. And I'm sorry the church has been complacent on this thing for at least a good 20 years, and that's partly of why we're in the mess that we're in. Okay, And what I mean is this, folks. Not only have many churches and so-called Christians caved in on this issue of homosexuality, as we saw last week, but listen, they even go so far to become literally complacent on giving a response, let alone engage in any kind of conversation over this issue, including the heavy-duty accusations made against us as Christians. It's not just we agree with you. Are you listening to the charges that are being put upon us? That somehow, because we disagree on this issue, we are literally being, quote, non-Christians, fake Christians, fundamental right-wing extremists, dangerous Christians. We are unlike Jesus. Excuse me? Now, it's one thing to be accused of that, but to say nothing, do nothing, care not, how to get equipped to be engaged in that kind of conversation, to give a defense? That's the complacency we better get rid of if revival's ever going to take place. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to rip through at least a good 15 that I've come across. You guys ready to go? Let's put that seatbelt on, shall we? All right, anyway, uh, the first false accusation we're going to respond to is this one on this issue. Hey, you're not supposed to judge. How many of you guys heard that one? Okay, that's one of the biggest ones when you disagree with this issue or any moral issue. You're not supposed to judge. Aren't you a Christian? Christians are never supposed to judge. You're supposed to, here's the word, you're supposed to tolerate this. If you're a real Christian, how many of you guys heard that? Okay, folks, I'm telling you that's one of the biggest lies that are out there. And here's how they're sucking us into this lie. It's a misrepresentation of this text. Open your Bibles to Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at the whole text, not just the first two words. Judge not. Okay, let's keep reading the whole context. Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. As we take a look, how do you respond to somebody who says that to you? You're not supposed to judge. You're a Christian. How can you do that? Okay. And uh, let's take a look at what's really going on with that text. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. Do not judge. All right, that's it. Let's close in prayer. 
No, that's how people interpret it. Now keep reading. That's not how you interpret the Bible, okay? Any passage. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you sit there and say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your own eye, when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You what? You hypocrite? You hypocrite? What are you doing? First, take the plank out of your own eye and then keep your mouth shut. No. Yes, get rid of your hypocrisy. Take that plank out. And then you will see clearly to what? To remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay? But how many people interpret this passage, they say, well, there it is, Christian. I mean, haven't you read the Bible? Don't you listen to Jesus? You're supposed to be a follower of him, a Christian, a Christian, a follower of Christ. It says right here in the Bible that you should never judge another person, no matter what they do, what they say, what they behave, nothing. You just accept it all and tolerate it. Don't judge. That's what they've been trying to say. That's what the church is starting to cave in on to. It's like, what Bible are you reading? Okay, but that is not at all what it means. And basically, the only way that you can come across that I've learned from that premise is you got to do basically what people do with this passage today. If you're going to say that, you can't judge, then what you do is you scratch out all that whole passage there and just circle that first two words there, judge not. Uh, and, and, and did you know that apparently it's not only popular in the church, it's popular with our government? Because I, I, here's the new revised 2015 version of the Constitution. You see, if you scratch out enough there, you can make it say, we the Supreme Court make the laws. It's the same mindset, isn't it? And the problem is, here's what people are doing. This is how they're treating the scripture. It's not a bag of trail mix, folks. You can't just pick out the pieces you like and ignore the rest, right? You need to do with all the words, deal with it, okay? And that's what people are doing to somehow say this passage says that you're not supposed to judge, and it's not true. It's a big fat lie, huge. In fact, I know it's a lie, folks. We know it's a lie. Because why did Jesus say this? This is, you got to read, Bible interprets Bible. That's a general rule. You can't just scratch out the portions you don't like. John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus speaking. He said, stop judging. Now, see, if you scratch out the rest, that makes sense according to their theory. But keep reading. What's he say? Stop judging by mere appearances. And then what do you do? You make a right judgment. Jesus clearly says you should not never judge. He says when you judge, just make sure you get your facts straight. Do it right, correctly, right? He didn't say never judge. And then if we're never supposed to judge as a Christian, I don't know how you get around this one, but listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church. In fact, they're not judging, and so he says, what are you guys doing? Are you crazy? Crumb's translation, by the way. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1 through 5. If you, any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for what? Judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints, the church, will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more in where? This life, Right? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. In other words, they weren't doing it, right? Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Now, folks, I don't know if you know Bible interpretation, just basic rules. Anytime something's repeated, it's for an emphasis. All the Bible's important, but when you see a repeated thing, it's for emphasis, and according to this passage, I don't know, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion, it sounds like we Christians are not only supposed to be judging, we're supposed to be judging up a storm. <laughs> what? So the point is, how in the world do people quote Matthew 7 and say, well, you're, you're not supposed to judge, you're not being a real Christian. 
Well, again, that's what they're doing. They're doing that trail mix uh, Bible interpretation method, which is not good. And they scratch all out, right? They don't quote the rest of the passage. They don't grab the context, okay? And they make it say something that's not. Which, by the way, did you know that means you're calling Jesus a liar? Ooh, I wouldn't do that. Okay, Matthew 7, folks, if you paid attention to the passage there, is dealing with a hypocritical judgment. A hypocritical judgment when a person is judging somebody of something, when they themselves are guilty of either doing the same thing or something even worse. That's why we dealt with in order the way that we dealt with. That's why, like with last week we saw, before you sit there and call somebody out on homosexuality, get rid of your fornication. Get your own sexual immorality in line correctly with God Get rid of the plank. But then stop? No. He says, then once you get rid of that hypocrisy, that log in your own eye, that plank, then you what? Then you could now rightly judge. It didn't say never judge. It said rightly judge to remove the speck out of that person's eye. Why would you want to do that? Because sin harms, sin destroys. Not only for you, but for other people. So because I love them, I have to say something. But I can't be a hypocrite i got to make sure I, my walk with Jesus is consistent. Then you have the authority to go out and say, hey, don't do that, man. That's going to hurt you. Okay, the whole point of Matthew 7 and John 7 is not to say that we are to never judge. It's exactly the opposite. It says get rid of your hypocrisy first. Get your facts straight first. Make a righteous judgment. Not never judge. Not tolerate anything and everything. Now, what's making it worse is not only people do the trail bag mix interpretation of the Bible, which I don't recommend, okay, or the scratch method, like it's a lottery ticket or something, okay, which I don't recommend, okay? But again, uh, not only that, but they've now changed the terminology on us. Did you know that there's a whole new term with this term tolerance now? You see, you and I, we were brought up with a mindset, and probably most of you listening right now, as we're going to see, we're brought up with what's called traditional tolerance. And, and it translates into a Christian phrase that we say all the time. Well, you know, God's called me to, uh, you know, love the sinner but hate the sin. Well, now, as you're going to see in just a second, uh, that's one of the most bigoted statements you can make today because that's not the new definition of tolerance, okay? Here's the old switcheroo that they're doing on us. Let's take a look at this. See if this doesn't sound familiar. When you're trying to engage in moral hierarchy, right and wrong with people today, let's take a look. Some of you say, wait a minute, I thought tolerance was good. That's the problem. That's the problem. Little Johnny comes home from school. And that very sincere Christian mother from the most fundamental evangelical church meets little Johnny. Says, honey, how was school today? Oh, mommy, what'd you talk about? We talked about tolerance. And that Christian mother goes, oh, that's wonderful. You know, Jesus taught us to be tolerant. Absolutely not. That mother is undermining everything that she believes. And it won't take years. It'll only take months to come back and halt her. Say, wait a minute, I don't get this. The reason is this. Right now, there's two distinct separate definitions of tolerance. One, I call historical or traditional tolerance. It's a one that almost every one of us here has been conditioned to think by. And how you're listening to me through traditional tolerance, I am speaking from a whole new definition of tolerance. Traditional tolerance would be defined by Webster. To bear or put up with someone or something not especially liked. Or in our circles we'd say, you know, God has called me as a Christian to love the sinner but to hate the sin. That's one of the most bigoted statements you can make today. You make that average statement in average classroom today and that entire class would turn on you. 
The bigotry, the intolerance to say, love the sinner, hate the sin. The reason is, there's a second definition of tolerance. And I would say 80% of the time, outside the walls of the church, when you hear the word tolerance, whether the media, magazine, school, or what, it is not the tolerance you're conditioned to think by. It's a whole new definition of tolerance. 80% of the time, it's a new definition. The tolerance you were brought up with is now referred to as negative tolerance. The new tolerance is called positive tolerance. It's defined this way. Every single individual's values, beliefs, lifestyle, and claims to truth are equal. Then repeat that. All values, all beliefs, all truth, all lifestyles are equal. And if you dare to say there's a value, belief, a lifestyle, or a claim to truth greater than another, that is called hierarchy, and that's the new definition of bigotry. A bigot today has nothing to do with racism or anything. A bigot today is someone who's committed to moral hierarchy, that there's difference in values, beliefs, lifestyle, or claims to truth. Positive tolerance adds the word praise. And what it means is this. We not only want your permission, we demand your praise. And if you do not praise my value, my lifestyle, my claim to truth, as equal to your own, now listen to this, as equal to your own from the heart, you are a bigot and you are intolerant. From the heart. It's called positive tolerance. Let me show you just how it's hit the church, just in a little brief one. Can you tell me historically what's been the number one verse quoted from the scriptures by Christians, non-Christian, Christian young people, non-Christian young people, the media, everything. What's the number one verse quoted historically by the scriptures? John 3.16. Do you know what it is now? Have you all been listening? Have you been listening to your own young people? Can anyone tell me now, by far way out front of everything, what's the number one verse quoted even by Christian young people from the Bible? Number one now, what is it? Judge not that you be not judged. Listen. Why? The moment you make a judgment, you're saying there's hierarchy. And that makes you a bigot and intolerant. And it makes you stand against the number one virtue in culture. Tolerance. All is equal. Christian love and the number one virtue of culture today cannot coexist. In fact, I'll go as far to say that Christian love is the number one enemy of the number one virtue in culture, tolerance. In fact, men and women, I'll say this. I believe now it's a point, as a pastor, evangelist, someone like that, it is very difficult to be popular and faithful. Jesus loved that woman at the well. And in love and compassion, he said to her, Go call your husband. She said, sir, I don't have a husband. In loving compassion, Jesus said, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Jesus exposed her lifestyle. He was witnessing to her. He exposed her lifestyle. Now speak to me. Did Jesus expose her lifestyle as an alternate lifestyle or a sinful lifestyle? You're a bigot. What right do you have to say that? You're intolerant. Who do you think you are to have the corner on truth? What right do you have to make any moral judgment on someone? He didn't love. If you don't believe me, that's not true. You tried anywhere in culture right today. You just traveled me one week into the high schools and universities. And Jesus did it in love. Christian love and tolerance cannot coexist. We better wake up.
Why? Because what he's saying, folks, and by the way, that was a warning 20 years ago from Josh McDowell. 20 years ago. And the reason why he said 20 years ago we better wake up is because everything we believe in as Christian is at risk. Not just this issue on homosexuality. This new definition of tolerance is going to make you and I, the Christian, the new enemy of the state. All that we believe in, all of Christianity, not just homosexuality, is based on a system of absolute rights and wrongs from God, which means now not just this issue, but eventually if something doesn't stop and turn around, this whole book is going to become targeted and scratched out by a hierarchy, by a government, by whoever, and said, this is what it means. We're going to mark this baby up, and if you try to believe to the contrary, you're a bigot, you're intolerant, and we won't, here's the irony, tolerate that. Is that ironic? Even by your own definition of tolerance, you refuse to tolerate my beliefs. Who's being intolerant? It's ridiculous. And besides, think about this logically. Jesus is the only way to heaven, whether you like it or not, not one of many. The Bible declares that there is only one God, not several, that you can somehow become your own God. And the Bible clearly says that all sexual immorality, including homosexuality, is wrong. The very Ten Commandments are what? Absolute judgments from God. What is right? What is wrong? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Are we supposed to tolerate those now? Is that what you're advocating? Plus, how could all values be equal? Think about this logically. Even these people, I would assume, who try to uh, shove this premise down our throats, folks, they don't even follow through themselves. If everybody's value is equal, what, what if it was somebody's value, and as crazy as this is, there are people like this. What if it was somebody's value to molest their children? Is that right? Am I supposed to accept that? If you bought into this new definition of intolerance, you have to say yes. But every ounce in your being says no. So how can this be true? What if it was a person's value to teach their children to steal for a living? What if it was a mother's value to teach her daughter a fulfilling lifestyle called prostitution? What if it was a father's value he wanted to teach his son desperately to be a real man and be an abuser of women? Am I supposed to accept that from the heart? No, rather the scripture is clear. We do not tolerate sin in any form. Why? Because sin harms, sin hurts, sin destroys. Oh, it might be fun for a season, but payday is coming. And I have to love people enough, like Jesus did, to tell them the truth about God's judgment on behavior that could damage them. Not just that which is right, but that which is wrong. And because God loves people, because he loves us, he loves us enough to warn us of the dangers that come ahead. I have to judge. And in essence, in closing on that point, it really isn't, if you think about it, me doing the judging as a Christian. I'm just a newspaper boy, a newspaper girl. I'm just delivering God's judgment. It's his judgment, not mine. So you can't even accuse me of that, technically. The second false accusation we need to respond to is this one. Hey, man, you're discriminating against me. Have you guys heard that one? Okay, that was very popular. still is today, unfortunately. And my response to that, with all due respect, is, yeah, so what's your point? Think about this. You see, the problem with this accusation is they're assuming that all discrimination is bad and or you yourself don't do it, and that's not true. You're not being consistent. Think about it, folks. We all discriminate on all kinds of things all the time. What kind of foods we should or should not eat? Dare I say the obvious? 
what programs we watch on TV, what programs we will or will not allow our kids to watch on TV, what school to go to, what job to go to, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if you think about it, every one of us, everybody on the planet has a certain amount of criteria that we must discriminate against certain things, okay? Including bad things. Let's go back to that example. Uh, child molesters. I discriminate personally, I'll say it, against child molesters as a parent. I will not let them hang around my kids and vice versa. And I would hope every parent would discriminate against that too. Is that bad? Disagreeing with homosexuality is not discrimination as they want to make it come across as if it were in like a legal sense. I am not saying that you need to get fired from your job. I'm not saying that you can't be my neighbor. I'm not saying you can't shop at the same store that I do. I would hope nobody's for that. Rather, I discriminate against the issue morally and spiritually and currently in our country, we have the freedom to do so. And I could do that in peace. And so saying that I disagree with homosexuality is supposed to be some sort of negative discrimination, that's not true. And besides, if you think about it by your own definition, you disagree with me on my moral stance, so you're discriminating against me too. Works both ways, if you think about it. The third false accusation is this one. Now this one sort of gets in your face, and they say, oh yeah, but you're just being hateful or a homophobic person, right? How many guys heard that one? And that one's usually kind of thrown at you and I, especially in the media. And you might've heard it personally if you disagree on this issue. And it's, it's thrown out there to hurt and to try to get you and I to submit to being silent, okay? Just because we disagree. Now, as I've stated repeatedly before in this study, I am not advocating, and I dare say that any true Christian is not advocating any hate, any violence, any bodily harm to anyone involved in this behavior, homosexuality or lesbianism. And if you dare say that you're a born-again Christian and you're guilty of this, knock it off! That's why we're in the mess we're in. You're being a hypocrite. That's not how to go about it. All right? But think about this. It's supposed to be being hateful. Since when is teaching that homosexuality is a sin, listen, any more hateful than teaching that lying is a sin or that stealing is a sin or that adultery is a sin? How is that spreading hate? Again, as we just talked before, sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. It's because I love people, I have to say something. In fact, I'd be unloving if I didn't. And, and, oh, by the way, and if you think about it, it's the liberals and the pro-homosexual community who do express serious disdain and ridicule and hatred towards Christians, and the media is having a heyday with it, but that's okay. Because here's what's going on. Christians right now are being fired from their jobs. Teachers are being suspended. Students are being punished and rejected, and Christian military are being court-martialed. I'm sorry, who's hating who here? I'm not advocating any of that. Oh, and by the way, that's just a hateful thing. How is disagreeing with homosexuality turning me into somebody who is, quote, homophobic? Right? I mean, there's plenty of people in the world, not just me, not just Christians, who disapprove with all kinds of behavior, like lying or coveting or stealing or, or hatred itself or, or, or pedophilia. I mean, I mean, does this mean by your logic we need to start labeling these people? These are liarphobes and covetophobes and hateophobes and theftophobes and pedophobes. And, and if that rationale is true, and then by your own definition, I need to start calling you a Christianophobe, a Biblephobe, a Godophobe. But I won't do that because that would be hateful. Works both ways. The fourth false accusation is this. They say, well, hey, listen, just back off because this behavior is normal. It's normal behavior. What are you concerned about? Why are you making a big issue on this? Okay? And that, that believe it or not, is, is some people's premise. They say, this is just normal behavior. Just back off. 
All right, well, let's just put that thing to the test. The word normal means conforming to the standard or common type. I'll repeat that again for those of you in the back rows. Right there, it says it's conforming to the standard or common type. Therefore, logically, let's put it to the test. If homosexuality is normal, then it should be the highest common standard or means of behavior. And guess what? It's not. It's not by a long shot, as we saw with the statistical data. Less than 3%, not 3%, less than 3% of the United States of America population identifies themselves as homosexuals or lesbians. It's even less than other countries. 1.2% of Australians identify themselves as gay. 1.5% of Britons identify themselves as gay. And only 1% of Canadians identify themselves as gay, which means, guess what? That's not the majority, which by the definition of the term means that's not normal. That's the abnormal behavior. And then some, I've actually heard this. Maybe you've heard this too. This is some of their justification. I'm just bringing it up. They will literally sit there and say, well, hey, listen, since homosexuality occurs in the animal kingdom, then that means it's normal as well. All right, have you really thought through that premise? I mean, do you really want to believe that? Let's put that to the test. Some animals eat their young. Is that normal? Is that good for humans? Now, I know some moms that have some two-year-olds that <laughs> might, well, I'm not going there. Right? Animal can't, what? I, uh, uh, animals, they also eat other creatures alive. They barf up food for their kids and they eat doo-doo. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and I'm not saying this to try to make fun of anybody. I'm not doing anything of the sort. I'm just pointing out the facts. That is not normal human behavior just because that occurs in the animal world. Think that premise through. Oh, and by the way, if you're going to go down that route, if evolution were true, and it's not, but let's just play the game, if evolution were true, then how can homosexuality survive if it doesn't produce offspring? You would have gone out of existence a long time ago. Which is why, and again, I'm not doing this to start, you know, I'm not being mean or whatever, uh, but just to point out the facts. This is why one guy came up with this picture. It's called straight pride. It's natural. It's worked for thousands of years, and you can make babies. And again, I'm not bringing that up to, to uh, be cutesy or whatever, okay? And if that uh, a picture, if you're watching this or listening to this, and if it offends you, I'm sorry. But can we deal with the facts here? The homosexual community works with the media and the school system to bombard you and I and our kids, whether they want it or not, with their behavior that is not normal. So I don't want any flack over that. That behavior, homosexuality, if you look at the facts, is not normal behavior, it's not the majority behavior. Rather, if you look at the facts, what we believe and what the Bible teaches is. Because it's the major mega majority all across the world. 97% of Americans, over 97% of Americans identify themselves as straight. 98.5% of Britons identify themselves as straight. 98.8% of Australians identify themselves as straight. 99% of Canadians identify themselves as straight, which means, guess what? That's the highest normal behavior, which means that's the norm, not the other. So you can't say that. It's just normal stuff. It's not, with all due respect. The fifth one is they bring up, and this is where the church, unfortunately, is starting to cave in on this issue, is they say, oh, yeah, but homosexuals are born that way. Excuse me? All right, let's take a look at that premise, okay? And again, I'm telling you, folks, this is one of the major slides that the church falls for this baloney. And this is so easy uh, to demonstrate that it is not true. It is a lie based on the case of identical twins, if genetics determine sexual orientation, i.e. your premise you're born this way, then it should manifest itself in twins who by nature share the exact same genetic information. The problem is it's not. 
And there's tons of case examples. It doesn't happen. It's a well-established fact. One twin can be gay. The other one is not. Therefore, how can your premise be true if that occurs, one and not the other, if it's a genetic issue? What it means is, guess what? You're trying to come up with an excuse that doesn't work. You're not born that way. It's a choice just like all other sins, like sins of lying, sins of stealing, sins of adultery or fornication. Is that what you're going to tell your spouse if you're caught in adultery? Hey, honey, I'm sorry. Why are you getting so offended? Back up. You're being an adulterphobic. Don't you realize that I was born this way? What? Think this through. This is all barfed on you and I. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Can we, can we talk about this? I mean, I mean really, is that, is that what somebody's going to do after they rob a bank? Stand before the judge and say, hey, I'm sorry, judge. You can't prosecute me. You can't throw me into jail. I was born a thief. You know exactly what would happen. They'd throw the key. I mean, I mean think about this, folks. Pick, pick a sin. Sin is a choice. It's always a choice. Okay? It's a choice. Okay? That's not going to fly in the court. It's not going to fly in a marriage. It's not going to fly in reality. Just like all other sins, adultery, lying, stealing, name your sin, whatever, it's sin is a choice. And by the way, think about this. Don't accuse God of going against his character because that's what you do when you say you're born this way. You're attacking the holy character of God. He is not going to, quote, make people in a way that contradicts what he condemns in another way. He's not going to teach against homosexuality that's a sin and make you that way. And he teaches that homosexuality is a sin like all other kinds of sin that he mentions because he loves us. And so he's not going to make people born that way and then turn around and condemn them for it. That's not God's holy, good character. Rather, because he is good, because he is holy, and because he is love, he loves us again enough to tell us when a behavior that we unfortunately choose to go down is going to harm us, and he loves us enough to speak up and say, don't. Don't choose the harmful path. The sixth accusation is people say this. Well, hey, listen, what's the big deal? If two people love each other, so what? How many guys heard that one? Okay, this one's very popular too. And if you think about that, again, put your thinking caps on. Let's think about this logically, biblically, and philosophically. We got some problems if this is your basis for acceptable behavior, this rationale. Well, hey, if you just love each other, it's okay. As we saw before, folks, believe it or not, we've already seen how polygamists say they love each other. Is that okay? We see that the pedophiles say that they love that young person. Some would even have the audacity to say that young person loves them in return. Am I supposed to accept that? Does that make it right? Uh, where, where, do you, where do you stop here? What, what about bestiality? What about incest? We, we saw that lady who loved her dog and she married her dog. Does that make it okay? Just saying, if that's your basis, if just saying you love each other is the basis for acceptable behavior, then where does it stop? Rather, because God loves us, as we saw in Romans chapter one, he says, stop. If that's your premise for what's acceptable, then you just open up Pandora's box, and next thing you know, you're going to start doing some things you ought not to do. He speaks up. He tells us, don't do it, because he loves us. The seventh one that people come up with, I don't know if you heard this one, they say, well, hey, listen, you're making a big deal out of your fundamental Christian, because Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Really? Okay, 
Well, let's, let's examine that one. That's not true either. Granted, Jesus may not have mentioned the word homosexuality, but if you take a look at the words of Jesus recorded for us in the Bible, that doesn't mean he didn't condemn homosexuality, and he clearly did. Let me just give you a couple examples real quick here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus speaking, of course, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So Jesus mentions the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and he answered and said, Jesus, have you not read that he, God, who created them, Adam and Eve, made them from the beginning, what? Male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, a woman, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In other words, don't mess with it. Don't tweak with it. Hello, that's what's going on today. Mark 10, verse 11 through 12. And he said to them, Jesus, whoever divorces his wife, a woman, and marries another woman, commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband, a man, and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And John 5, 46 through 47 said, for if you believe Moses, Jesus said, you would believe me for he wrote of me but if you don't believe his writings how are you going to believe my words so he put all this together folks and here we see according to the words of jesus he clearly talked about the condemnation of sodom and gomorrah which we know homosexuality was involved in those cities two we see that he confirmed homosexual marriage male and female as god's pattern even in the issue of divorce and remarriage not just the creation account and three he supported the teachings of moses which contains the book of leviticus which contains the condemnation of homosexuality so yes, I'll give you that. Granted, maybe Jesus didn't mention the word homosexuality, but that doesn't mean he did not condemn it. He did. You're just not being honest with the text or reading it, whatever, or doing the scratch method. The eighth accusation is this. Well, hey, listen, I'll tell you what. Skip, skip over that. The word homosexual doesn't even appear in the Bible technically. How many of you guys heard that one? Okay, believe it or not, that one's starting to get more and more popular. And here's the premise of what they say. Let's examine it. They say that the word homosexual didn't appear into the English Bible until 1946. 1946. And so therefore, this disagreement that you and I have with homosexuality is a modern biasness brought on by fundamental Christianity, and it's only recently been this way. All righty, let's take a look at that. Granted, yes, the word, the English word, English word homosexual did not appear in the Bible until 1946, but that's not because it's not there. We'll get to that in a second. The word didn't even enter the English vocabulary until 1892, which, by the way, when it did, it talked about a sexual perversion. It didn't enter until 1892, which means it didn't even come into the English language until after many English Bibles, including the KJV, were already printed. So how could it be in there? Okay, number one. So naturally, it would take some time for this newer English word sometime to get assimilated into the English culture and literature and new English translations of the Bible that we have today that recorded for us. Okay, so that, what's your point? And besides, the Greek word that's there the whole time clearly talks about homosexuality, and it's wrong. It's the Greek word arsenikoites. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, and 1 Timothy 1.10, and it means, quote, a man who lies in bed with another male in a sexual manner, i.e. a homosexual, like we know today in the English. What's your point? It was there the whole time. You're just trying to skirt the issue. The ninth accusation, they say, well, listen, this one blows me away personally. There are actually people out there that says God does not disapprove of homosexuality. 
And I don't know what Bible you're reading, okay, but how in the world you could actually make that statement is beyond me. Old and New Testament. Because if you read the Bible, and I, I, I guess that's the problem, maybe you're not, I'll, I'll give you that. But how in the world you could say that God approves of this behavior when he's very clear he absolutely does not? Let's take a look at just some of those passages. Leviticus, we just talked about that, that Jesus mentioned, Moses, right? Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's what? I didn't say God did. It's an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed what? A detestable act. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals. And he mentioned some other ones that says, you're not going to the kingdom of God, which means you're going where? Hell. Again, not just the un, it's not the unpardonable sin. It's all sin, any sin. It just happens to be mentioned on the list. Okay, if you don't deal with it correctly, repentively, through Jesus Christ on the cross, anybody is in danger. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which was unnatural. Okay? And in the same way, men also abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. Some translations will actually use the word perversion. So let's put all this together, stir it together, and what do you get? How many guys would say that if God is calling something an abomination, detestable, unrighteous, degrading, indecent, a penalty, an error, or perversion, he doesn't approve it? I think that's pretty obvious. And that's what he calls homosexuality or lesbianism. So how in the world you can say God doesn't disapprove of this? I don't know, okay? But then this is where they start twisting the tables. And they say, okay, well, um, maybe the Bible actually promotes homosexuality. And this is what you're going to get from that community who says, well, I go to the, my church says it's okay. Here's what they do. The 10th uh, accusation they say is, well, the eunuchs, the eunuchs mentioned in the Bible are actually homosexuals. They're born that way, and we need to accept it. What? Well, let's, let's take a look at that passage that they twist as well, okay? And this is in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 19, okay, verse 12 simply says this. For there are eunuchs who were what? Born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who, or he, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. And so they would say, well, see, there it is right there. Uh, these eunuchs are homosexuals. They were born that way. And so you just got to accept it. Who can do the best wrong answer on a game show host noise? <laughs> you guys are awesome. <laughs> that's my favorite one lately. Uh, what? <laughs> I know that's what you wanted. What? Let's examine this passage. Excuse me? First of all, the context of the passage here, if you read the context, don't grab something out and yank it out. The context is speaking about marriage and divorce, not homosexuality. It has nothing to do with homosexuality. It's about marriage and divorce. And if you don't want to believe that, then look at the historical context. Number two, the three eunuchs that Jesus is talking about here in this passage, one is, yes, a eunuch from birth, which is speaking of those who were incapable of marriage, that's the context, from some sort of physical deformity that prevented them from having kids. Number two, the second eunuch that he's talking about there is those who were actually truly physically castrated because believe it or not, that was a practice back in the day for those who took a job guarding the king's harem, i.e. his ladies, and you wouldn't want to have a guy flirting around. 
Number three, he was talking about those who chose to be single for the kingdom of God. That's it. It has nothing to do with homosexuality, let alone condoning it. You're totally twisting the passage. Okay? Speaking of twisting the passage, the 11th one is this. They say, oh, hey, Genesis 2, it only talks about a suitable helper, and that's not defined, so that must be okay for a homosexual partner. What? Let's take a look at that verse, and here's what they say. Genesis, this is the, the Genesis account here, uh, chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 18. It is not, God speaking here, it is not good for man, i.e. Adam. Remember, he was naming all the animals, and God was showing him the, the lesson that, hey, you're alone. I'm, I need to make somebody for you, right? And so he says, it's not good for man, Adam, to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him, for Adam, right? And these people will say, well, see, right there, uh, uh, God didn't define the marriage partner, okay, uh, as strictly male or female. And, and, and for us, a suitable partner uh, is a homosexual lesbian relationship, so it's okay. No, read the context. Once again, you're twisting the scripture. Uh, God clearly defined, if you keep reading, who the suitable helper for Adam, the man, was, and that's Eve, it was a woman. So It's, it's defined right there. Two, the passage goes on to state the purpose of this suitable helper, and that was to procreate, to make babies, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and you can't do that in a homosexual or a lesbian relationship. That is not the suitable helper that God is talking about. You're twisting the scripture. Another one they twist is, believe it or not, they say this. You know what? Okay, right. It's really hard to get around this issue of Sodom and Gomorrah, but see, you guys don't get it. You see, the real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was gang rape. It wasn't homosexuality, they say. It was gang rape. And the reason why they say that, once again, they take the scripture, they twist it around, and they say, well, if you read there in the Bible, it says that these men, okay, young and old, who came to Lot's door, they demanded, they demanded to have sex with these two men, the angels, and that was wrong because they were trying to force themselves upon these people, these angels they thought were men, and that was wrong. But... If somebody individually wanted it, it's okay. Uh, first of all, we already saw how God calls this behavior, whether it's individually or corporately, any of it, an abomination, detestable, unrighteous, degrading, indecent, a penalty, an error, and a perversion. So how could you even come to that conclusion is beyond me. But then they'll go and say, well, we got proof. And they take out this obscure passage from Ezekiel and they'll say, well, see, the real sin that was being judged here, if you don't buy into the gang rape thing, apparently, it was, it was Sodom and Gomorrah's ill treatment to outsiders. That's why God judged them, not homosexuality. And let's take a look at that passage that they pull out. And here's what, here's what they quote, Ezekiel 16, verse 49 through 50. And it does say this. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. I had to point that out for a reason. Therefore, I did away with them as you've seen. And so they would now quote this verse and they'll say, well, see, 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 God didn't even mention homosexuality, so that can't be the sin that destroyed them. Uh, what was the phrase I pulled out there? the detestable thing before me, right? We already saw what God called in his own words, what was a detestable thing? Homosexuality, okay? And yes, Sodom and Gomorrah did other sins too that was mentioned there, but how does that automatically negate the big giant glaring one? It's ridiculous. And besides, would you really have you and I to believe, would you have us to believe that your recent and modern reinterpretation of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is the correct one? When you're obviously biased, 
And two, when thousands and thousands of Christian scholars throughout centuries and centuries of Christian church history say to the contrary, all of a sudden you're right and they're wrong? I don't think so. The major sin that was clearly taught for centuries in the church, because it's clearly in the Bible, that caused the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, they may have been doing other sins, but the big one was homosexuality. That's what you get if you're honest historically and also with the text. The 13th accusation, they would actually say this. Well, hey, we, you, you just quoted Leviticus 18. If a man lies with a man, uh, that's an abomination to God. But you see, you don't understand now. You see, uh, Leviticus 18 doesn't apply today. How many of you guys have heard something like that? What they basically say is this. They'll sit there, well, I can't get around that issue. Uh, and there's passages like Leviticus that clearly say you shouldn't be doing this. It's an abomination, right? But they say, well, see, that's in the Old Testament, Tom. Okay, and, and, and since we as New Testament Christians don't live under the Old Testament law, then that doesn't apply anymore. Really, let's examine that. First of all, let's take a look at that premise of what laws apply today and what don't. Because just making that blanket statement, it's in the Old Testament, and therefore doesn't apply today, cannot be true. Because that means we need to ax the Ten Commandments. They're in there. So something wrong with your premises. And here's what it is. First of all, there were actually three divisions of law in the Old Testament. The civil law, the ceremonial laws, and yes, the moral law. Now, the civil laws, yes, are no longer in effect, okay, because they expired with the demise of the Jewish theocratic governmental system. And this is also why we do not put to death homosexuals or adulterers that are mentioned in that system of law if people commit that sin. And I'm not for that either, and I hope nobody is, so don't accuse me of that. And this is also why we see in the New Testament, Jesus freed the woman who was caught in adultery, contrary to what the Jewish people of the day wanted him to do. But he did say, go and sin no more. Number two, the ceremonial laws are no longer in effect because, hello, Jesus is our high priest. And he's fulfilled all the necessarily priestly work on our behalf, including the dietary laws, like don't eat shellfish, don't eat pork, etc. And that's important because they'll oftentimes come up and say, well, hey, the Bible says that shellfish is an abomination, and like homosexuality, but we can still eat shellfish today, so that means homosexuality is okay today. Excuse me? Right? And there's people that actually come and say that. No, you're misunderstanding the ceremonial laws. The prohibition against eating shellfish and pork and all other kinds of food that are mentioned in the dietary laws are under the ceremonial laws. They're no longer in effect. That's why God gave Peter a vision in the book of Acts of being able to eat all things now are considered to be clean. But here's the point. The moral law, the moral law, things like the Ten Commandments and the moral prohibitions against homosexuality or adultery, etc., are still in effect. And the reason why they're still in effect and have always been in effect because those are based on the character of God that doesn't change. And that's why you see, not just in the Old, but it repeated in the New Testament, God saying this phrase to all his people, old and new, be ye holy as I am holy. Old and New Testament repeated. Okay? We are supposed to look like him, resemble him, act like him, behave like him, and I'm sorry, homosexuality doesn't do that. Plus, think about it. If you're going to sit there and take one moral law prohibition, wrench it out of its context and say, it's okay today. You can't do that with just one. You got to do it with all of them. So then that means at the same time you are advocating, we need to allow for murder, stealing, lying, adultery, bestiality, incest, and sacrificing your children to idols, just to name a few. Which I hope you're not for, 
that would be ludicrous as well as dangerous. And you know that. You're being inconsistent. The 14th one is they'll actually say this. This is getting popular too. Is they'll say, you know, Romans 1, the real sin that's being mentioned there is a homosexual going against their natural orientation. Their natural orientation. All right? This is kind of a newer one that's thrown out there because again, Romans 1, just like Leviticus, how do you get around that? How can you somehow say this is acceptable behavior when it's clear in the text it doesn't? And here's what they do. Here's how they twist it. They'll say that they're in homosexuality. The passages mentioned there in Romans 1 uh, would say, and they'll pick up on this phrase there, natural function. Right? Remember the, we quoted earlier, the natural function. They went against their natural function and did that which was unnatural which of course was going into homosexuality or lesbianism. But they say, no, 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 really what's going on there is that phrase their natural function is speaking of natural orientation. And for them, that is being gay. So therefore, the real sin is the sin of going against your natural orientation and trying to become straight. What? Uh, uh, first of all, uh, it says natural function not natural orientation or natural preference. And it speaks of use, not personal desire. And based on the context, what is man's natural function or use with women, according to the Bible, to fulfill God's command of being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth? It's the man and the woman coming together in marital union to have babies, and you can't do that, again, with homosexuality or lesbianism. That's why it's not a natural function, and that's why it gets condemned by God. That's why it was unnatural. You can't twist it. Now, the 15th one, I say this one for last, because even you go through all this, inherently, I believe, oftentimes, they'll come back with this response. Well, hey, just back off, Christian. We're not harming anyone. How many of you guys heard that? Why are you making this a big deal? We're not harming anybody. Just leave us alone. Now, when you take a look at the facts, folks, actually, this is one of the biggest lies to date. One of the biggest. Because when you take a look at the even secular data on this issue, homosexuality and lesbianism is one of the most destructive behaviors a person could ever do to themselves, let alone other people, let alone society. Let's take a look at some of those statistics, why this is one of the most dangerous behaviors you could ever get involved in. Here's the facts. First of all, it hurts yourself, right? And I'm concerned about you. I love you. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I have to say something. Here's why. Uh, domestic violence rates are higher among homosexuals, nearly double the heterosexual population. Homosexuals are 50% more likely to suffer from depression and engage in substance abuse than the rest of the population. 73% of psychiatrists in the American Psychiatric Association report that homosexual men are less happy than others and they believe their problems, listen, are due more to personal conflicts, not to social stigmatization that i.e. people are trying to repress them. It's your own community is where it's coming from. Uh, the risk of suicide for homosexuals is up to over 200% if an individual is engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. Homosexual men are six times more likely to have attempted suicide than heterosexual men. And this is why the average lifespan of a homosexual is now on average 24 years shorter than a heterosexual man. And you want me to keep my mouth shut about this? I can't, that would be unloving. 
And it's not just that. Uh, lesbianism, breast cancer rates are higher among lesbians, as well as higher rates of alcohol consumption, smoking, lack of exercise, and obesity. Lesbians also have higher rates of psychological counseling. They're three times more likely to suffer from other uh, compulsive behaviors. And historical data has shown that lesbians have a marked increased risk of adverse sexual, reproductive, and general health outcomes compared to heterosexual women. This is not something you want to mess with. It's dangerous, not just to you, but to other people. Let's examine the facts on that. Homosexuality can bring huge financial and emotional stress to other people, right? That's what's happening to us. For instance, homosexuals can sue people who are exercising their religious beliefs, who can then incur significant financial and emotional stress upon the family, not to mention losing your business or your job or whatever. That hurts. Just because you disagree? For instance, if a Christian orphanage is forced to shut down because of religious disagreement and turn the children over to a homosexual couple, is anybody hurt in that scenario? Of course, not just the, the orphanage, but all the people who could have adopted, it's gone. That doesn't hurt people. What about if a public school teacher voices their disapproval of homosexuality on Facebook on their own time, away from work, in their own home, on their own computer, and is fired from their teaching position? Is anybody harmed? Of course they are. And when morally conservative people who disapprove of homosexuality are labeled as moral dinosaurs, these are all terms against us, bigots, hate mongers, right-wing fanatics, preachers of hatred, intolerant, aren't we being harmed? What? And finally, it'll destroy your society like God said in Romans chapter one. The push for gay marriage means a redefinition of sexual morality. And with that, other sexually related practices that we all saw already was harmful. Things like pedophilia, polygamy, bestiality. If something doesn't turn around, folks, those are coming next because they're going to use the same basis. That's not good for society, right? A disproportionate percentage, 29% of adult children of homosexual partners, parents, had been specifically subjected to sexual molestation by that homosexual parent compared to only 0.6% of adult children of heterosexual parents, which means having a homosexual parent or parents appears to increase the risk of incest with a parent by a factor of 50. Can we deal with the facts? And if a gay marriage increases and heterosexual marriage decreases, society will be harmed because we're not producing more children, which means your society across the board will die. That means there won't be enough people to support the infrastructure, the medical needs, economic development, etc. That is a known fact in a society. Also, due to the health risk associated with this behavior, 12.1 billion, not million, billion dollars are spent annually on health care costs for them, making it a major financial drain. Also, the homosexual lifestyle is highly promiscuous and brimming with disease, and it is not a monogamous affair. You want to stop spreading disease? This is not good. Watch this. 83% of homosexual men surveyed estimated they had sex with 50 or more partners in their lifetime. 43% estimated they had sex with 500 or more partners in their lifetime. Nearly one-third, 28%, said they had sex with 1,000 or more partners in their lifetime. Only 4.5 said, yeah, we're faithful. That's it. Now, contrast that to God's way. Married heterosexuals, 85% of married females reported marital faithfulness, and men reported 75, uh, 75.5% of marital faithfulness. Now, here's the problem. A recent CDC study found that one in five, one in five homosexuals right now are infected with HIV. Here's the problem. On top of that, nearly half don't even know they got it. Did you catch that? And then you look at your promiscuous behavior, wow. Maybe that's why, here's the stats. Worldwide right now, there are now approximately one in every 100 adults on the whole planet 
The whole planet right now, one out of 100 people ages 15 to 49 now has HIV. Why is it spreading? Is that good? Does, does that harm anybody? Yes, it does. And again, it doesn't just harm the economy. It doesn't just harm our country. It doesn't just harm us as Christians or other people. Listen, it harms you. And I'm a Christian. And I'm called to love my neighbor. How could you ask me to approve of that behavior that is so hurtful, even if you want to erase everything else, that is so hurtful to you? I have to say something. Oh, we'll speak up on cancer. We'll speak up on drunk driving. Folks, this is not good. When your average lifespan is 24 years less than me, I got to say something. You'll speak up about breast cancer. You'll speak about diabetes. You'll... We, we, we have to keep our mouth shut on what? That's the most unloving thing I could ever do. I'm not making this up. These are the stats. And so that's why if we're going to respond to the Supreme Court decision in a Christian manner, we have got to do it right this time, church. We have got to get rid of the whole hate issue and stop being hateful towards these people, which, by the way, tell them of a destructive path is not hate. I'm talking about some of the reports you heard about in the 90s when people would physically harm them. You better not do that as a Christian. Not with hate, not going along with his behavior, not condoning it, not with hypocrisy. But we need to do it right this time. We need to do it in love like Jesus, who again, loved people enough to tell them the truth. That they're headed down a destructive path. Yes, get equipped. Yes, get equipped like we saw today to be able to respond in love consistently, correctly, and biblically. But the ultimate goal is to not alienate them, is to lead them to Jesus Christ. That they might be saved too from their sin, just like we were saved from our sin. We do it that way this time, there's hope. Like this girl, let's take a look. Well, we're busy as usual. Titus, he's at State. It's his last semester there. And Megan, she's a senior now. Really involved in school and church. Oh, no, it's not school. She does pretty well there without much effort. No, it's church that has her running ragged. Mm-hmm. Bye, sweetheart. Be careful. Sorry. What? Well, she's been spending a lot of time up there this semester. She goes at least once a week. Don't get me wrong, I love that she's passionate. It's just that, well, in the last year she's changed. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but she's different. So last week I asked her why she feels she has to go every week. She told me she's doing what God was telling her to do. I know. You don't think God would ask her to be so radical, though, do you? You know, we all go to church, right? I mean, we're a Christian family. But she is really taking this seriously. And she's been going to this place for weeks now. You know, it's just not safe.
My daughter has the ability to do whatever she wants. She's got to understand that people, they're going to start forming their own opinions. I just don't think she's thought through the implications. You know, it's probably just a phase, right? I mean, like when she did cheerleading or piano lessons. And how long can she go on like this? she gets it. Certainly not for me. She just has to be different. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their own wicked ways and love like that, not with hate, love them enough to tell them the truth, Yes, but not with hate, as if you don't have any sin you've been forgiven for. And if we can do that this time, then there's hope for revival. That's a Christian response to the Supreme Court decision. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. 
Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, 
if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.